Israelites were at the bank of the Jordan River, fearful about crossing into the unfamiliar territory beyond. Can you relate? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah takes a closer look at this episode in Old Testament history and shares tools for conquering the fear of crossing into the unknown. Listen as David continues his series in Joshua and introduces today's message, Crossing the Jordan. Well, the Bible is filled with stories. In fact, the Bible is a story from beginning to the end, and there are a lot of little stories in the big story. And uh, the story of the crossing of the Jordan is a magnificent story. Most of us have heard that uh, taught or preached, or even we've seen it perhaps in Sunday school, and we know the story. But do we know the the basic purpose of the story being in the Bible and what we should learn from it? Well, today we're going to bring together two things, the teaching of the Word of God on Turning Point and the resource that we're offering for the month. Because believe it or not, the resource for the month of February is called The Jordan River Rules. And the book by Rob Morgan is based on the passage we're going to talk about today and tomorrow. The same God who led the Israelites out is the God who wanted to lead them in. And uh, it's interesting, there's a verse of Scripture that Rob has at the beginning of his book that brings these two thoughts together. Joshua 4.23 says, For the Lord your God dried up the water of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, just as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea. Rob has another book called The Red Sea Rules. We've offered that already once. Here's the sequel. The Jordan River Rules, if you got the first one, you'll certainly want this one. But if you didn't, let me introduce it to you. This book has the possibility to change your life as you move forward in this new year to walk with God. Here's how you get your copy. Send a gift of any size to Turning Point just uh, today and Friday and Monday. These are the last three days of broadcast. Send your gift before the end of the month, and when you do, ask for your copy of the Jordan River Rules. We have them in stock. Uh, your copy will be addressed to your address, and it will be on its way to you. So, you know, we're running out of time, folks. Don't wait any longer. Do it today. Make sure you're a part of the family of Turning Point in the month of February. Well, here's the details. Here's what happened. Here's the crossing of the Jordan. God has challenged Joshua to succeed Moses as the leader of his people, Israel. And in the first chapter, the Lord commissions Joshua, and he has given him a task that he's to go into the land of Canaan, and there he is to subdue the people, drive out the inhabitants, and settle that land for the people of God, even as it had been promised would happen years before. And then in the second chapter, we learned that three days were to pass before the people actually crossed over the Jordan River. And during that three-day period, Joshua sent two spies into the land. And he asked them to seek out the land and bring back a report. And of course, while they were in the land of Canaan, they spent some time hiding in the city of Jericho in the home of a woman named Rahab, who was a harlot. She protected them and made it possible for them to escape. Now the spies have returned, and they have told Joshua and the people, we are well able to take this land, and it is exactly as the Lord has said. And let's arm ourselves and go over the Jordan and get after God's business as he told us. 
The third chapter, we come to the actual crossing of the river itself, and it is filled with lessons that are just bound to be an encouragement to us if we listen with our hearts. I'm reading the first six verses because the third chapter is sort of a chapter in triads. The first six verses tell us what's going to happen. Then the next section tells us how Joshua explained what was going to happen. And then the last few verses tell us what happened. But they're basically all the same things with a few nuances that are different in each section. Joshua rose early in the morning and removed from Shittim and came to Jordan. He and all the children of Israel enlarged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host and they commanded the people saying, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites bearing it, then you shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that ye may know the way by which ye must go, for you have not passed this way heretofore. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spake unto the priests, saying, Take up the ark of the covenant and pass over before the people. And they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. I want to talk to you about the subject of fear. It is a subject which uh, many are facing these days. The Bible says that in the end times, men's hearts will be failing them for fear. Here is a passage that teaches us how to deal with our fears, especially our fears of the unknown future. You know, when you fear that the worst will happen, Oftentimes, your own thoughts become self-fulfilling prophecies. Someone has written that fear is the wrong use of imagination. It is anticipating the worst, not the best, that can happen. And there's a story that has been told to illustrate how this works in the lives of people. It's the story about a salesman who was driving on a lonely country road one dark and rainy night. And in the midst of that set of not too good of circumstances, he had a flat tire. He opened his trunk to discover that there was no lug wrench in the trunk with which he could change tires. And in the distance, he saw a light from a farmhouse that was just dimly lit up the road. He set out on foot through the driving rain, and he began to think, surely the farmer would have a lug wrench he could borrow. Of course, it was late at night. And the farmer would be asleep in his warm, dry bed, and maybe he wouldn't answer the door. And even if he did, he'd probably be angry at being awakened in the middle of the night. And the salesman was picking his way blindly in the dark and stumbled on. By now his shoes and his clothing were soaked, and he began to continue to think, even if the farmer did answer his knock, he probably would shout something like, what's the big idea of waking me up at this hour? And this thought made the salesman angry. What right did that farmer have to refuse him the loan of a lug wrench? After all, here he was stranded in the middle of nowhere, soaked to the skin. That farmer that he not yet met was a selfish clod. There's no doubt about it. The salesman finally reached the house, and when he went up to the door, filled with rage, he banged on the door. A light went on inside, and a window opened above, and a voice called out, Who is it? His face was now white with anger, and the salesman called out, You know right well who it is. It's me. 
You can keep your old lug wrench. I wouldn't borrow it if you were the only one on the earth. Well, his fears became a reality in his mind long before it ever happened. And if we smile at that, it is only because we know how easy it is for that to take place in our lives. Sometimes our fears are self-fulfilling prophecies. And I think that what we have before us in the third chapter of Joshua is a wonderful presentation in the Word of God about how we should handle our fears, especially the fear of the unknown future. It doesn't take any imagination at all to recognize that as the officers of the Israelites went through the host and began to prepare the people to get up and move toward the Jordan River, that their words were significant of the uncharted territory on the other side of that body of water. If you have your Bible still open, you might look at the last phrase in the fourth verse as these messengers went through the people. They had one message for them. They told them to get up and get ready. And then they said, for you have not passed this way before. I guess if we're honest, all of us will admit to the fact that we can deal with things which have a precedent, but walking out into uncharted territory has a tendency to provoke fear in the best of our hearts. And Joshua and his people are about to experience that. They were standing at the watershed of history. Behind them was the wilderness. Before them was the promised land. Behind them were the graves of their disobedient parents, all of whom had died in that 40-year period of wandering. Before them was the land which God said was a land that flowed with milk and honey and awaited their believing possession. In these waning moments of their wilderness journey, as they hovered together on the bank of the Jordan River, before they were ordered to march through that water, they felt the same kind of fear that we often feel when we stand at our Jordan rivers as well. Actually, the Jordan River should not have been much of a frightening thing to them itself. Normally, it was a very small body of water that the people of Israel could have waded through without any harm to themselves. But if you'll notice in the 15th verse of the third chapter, this was the harvest time. And at the end of the verse, in parentheses in my Bible, it says, For the Jordan overfloweth all his banks all the time of the harvest. It's interesting to me that the Lord had brought the people of Israel to the bank of the Jordan River exactly at harvest time when the Jordan River was filled to overflowing. It was actually overflowing its banks. All of the water had come down from the mountains. All of the waters of the whole area had flooded into that river. And now the people of Israel were camped there right on the shore of the Jordan River. And they knew in their minds that God had commanded them to go to the other side. But there was no human means to do it. There were no bridges and there were no boats. And there was no way they could ever get across the river unless there was divine intervention. The Bible says they were commanded to cross over. The Hebrew word cross over here in the book of Joshua is the word abar. And it means something more than just getting from point A to point B. It means a very significant moment of time. It means passing out of what you've been accustomed to into something brand new for which you have no plans or precedent. 
In essence, God was saying to the people of Israel, your past is now finished. The wilderness journeys are over. There is something brand new that I have for you. It's on the other side of the river. Now get up and go. It's not hard to imagine what was going through the minds of the people at that very moment. They had not known anything except their wilderness experience. And now the Lord was telling them to go into a land, and they had heard all about that land from their fathers. They had been told that it was a land that had giants in it, that it had fortified cities, that the military people there were armed with iron, which was never heard of before this time. So as they kind of waited for the final moment, it's not hard to figure out what was going through their mind. They were obviously filled with fear. I wonder if you've ever stood at the bank of a Jordan River in your life. It's not hard for us to reflect, is it, on the times when we are ready to take a new step into some new area of our life. Perhaps it's a change in a career. Maybe it's moving out into college education experience, or maybe it's changing your location of living. Maybe some of you have crossed over the Jordan, and this is where you ended up, right here in this place. And it's awesome to think of the thoughts that can fill our minds as we look into a future for which we have no roadmap. But I'd like to suggest to you from this portion of God's Word that there were some things that God used to strengthen His people. And these things are available to us today when we face our challenges as well. I must tell you that I love this book I preach because it is so rich in truth, helpful to my own life. Sometimes when I read the Bible, I feel as if it were written just for me. And I love to preach the book not because I'm a lover of Bible history, which is true, but I love to preach the book because this Bible history that we study is the divinely inspired Word of God given to us to help us with our lives today. So let me suggest to you the three things that I believe are prevalent in this passage given by God to equip his people for the future. First of all, they had the performance of their God in the past. And the key word here is the word reflect. The people of Israel standing that day on the bank of the Jordan River had one thing for sure, and that is they had the record of God's performance in their behalf in past time. If you have your Bibles open to Joshua 1, just turn left a couple of pages to Deuteronomy chapter 8. And I want you to notice a couple of words that were given by Moses to his people just before he left his place of leadership among them. In the second verse of Deuteronomy 8, Moses is speaking and he says, And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee and to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or not. Notice, Moses said to his people, I want you to remember, I want you to reflect upon, I want you to consider all the ways which the Lord your God has led you in your wilderness experience. For 40 long years, God had wonderfully and miraculously cared for them. First of all, they got into the wilderness through a miracle, remember? They came to the Red Sea, which 
was the entrance into the wilderness and the Egyptians were hot in pursuit of them and the Lord just opened the Red Sea up and they walked over on dry land and the Bible says that the Red Sea then closed in upon the Egyptians and the whole Egyptian army was killed. A miraculous thing the Lord had done. And throughout their 40 years in the wilderness, God had given them not a road map as we would understand it. He gave them something better. He gave them a daily guidance program. Every day they were led in their journey by a pillar of cloud. And when it was so dark you couldn't see the pillar of cloud, they were led at night by a pillar of fire. And so wherever the Israelites were, if they wanted to know when it was time to move, they just looked. And when God wanted them to move someplace else, he moved the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. It was a divine guidance system for 40 years, and it never one time failed. Some time ago, an army general who studied this passage of Scripture decided it would be fun to figure out what it would be like to take care of three and a half million people for 40 years in the wilderness. He did some logistical studies which I find interesting by way of illustrating God's provision for these folks. He said that to feed three and a half million people, it would have taken 1,500 tons of food per day just to avoid starvation on their behalf. 4,000 tons a day if they eat like modern Americans. I think that has something to say to us, doesn't it? At today's cost, said this army general, it would have taken $5 million a day to feed the people of Israel, and it would have made it necessary if they moved food as we do today for two freight trains one mile long to bring their food to them every day. And yet how had God provided it? He dropped it to them every day miraculously. Not only that, this same general determined in his studies that if you were going to have enough water to take care of three and a half million people, that he did his calculations like this. He said to wash a few dishes and just to have drinking water, it would have necessitated 11 million gallons of water per day. There were no lakes or oceans around, and that would have necessitated a freight train with 1,800 cars on it to bring them water every day in tank cars. And then he went on, because of his military background, to discuss what it would have been like to set up camp for three and a half million people. Now, some of you who are campers know what a challenge it is when there's only three or four of you. Can you imagine three and a half million campers? Well, in his figuring, he came up with these numbers. He said it would have taken, every time they set up for camp, 750 square miles 20 miles wide, 35 miles long, or an area one-third the size of Rhode Island. Every time they moved, they had to find a new space like that. I find this most interesting as a father with four children. What about their clothes? You know, there wasn't a mall, a shopping mall out in the wilderness. There was no pennies or Sears, or you couldn't order things through the mail. <laughs> How is he going to care for this people for this long period of time? Well, I want you to see this with your own eyes because it is truly marvelous. Hold your place again in Joshua and go back to Deuteronomy chapter 8 once more. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, and we'll look at one other passage. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 4. This is wonderful. Deuteronomy 8, 4 says, Thy raiment waxed not old upon thee, Neither did thy foot swell for 40 years. Now, ladies, this was the most marvelous garment ever produced. It lasted for 40 years, and it never wore out. Every husband could wish for such a thing. 
And some of you think, yeah, pastor, I'm working on 40 years on this one right now. Listen, it was a marvelous thing that their clothes never wore out for 40 years. Well, the people moved through the hot desert and they didn't have transportation. They walked. What about their shoes? All right, I'm glad you asked. Let's look at Deuteronomy 29 and verse 5. Deuteronomy 29 and verse 5. And here we have again the word which the Lord is saying by Moses to his people. Verse 5, I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes are not waxen old upon you. Now watch this. And your shoe is not waxen old upon your foot. A pair of shoes that lasted for 40 years. I tell you, I can't keep a pair of shoes on my son for 40 days. 40 years. And they never wore out. You say, well, it must have been some sort of miracle synthetic fiber that God, no, God just did that for his people during this time. You say, Pastor Jeremiah, what does this mean? It simply means that when there was no bread in the past, God rained it down from heaven. And when there was no water, God used a flinty rock to supply it. And when there was no guide, he put a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire in the sky. And when there was no clothing, he made miraculous clothes that never wore out. Yes, the people of Israel were standing on the bank of the swelling Jordan and fear was in their heart. Behind them was the experience of the Red Sea and the wilderness. Before them was an unknown land. Before them was the great need of food and clothing that they would surely encounter on the other side. But behind them was the remembrance of all that God had done for them when they walked around in the wilderness and there was no visible, tangible human means of sustenance. I say all that to say to you and to say to my own heart that the one thing no one can ever take away from you as you face the unknown future is the past. You may not know what's out there and you may not know what God's going to do for you out there, but the one thing you do know is what God has done for you back there. And most of us, if we just stop for a moment and reflect could put together a litany that would be many pages long of how God has met our needs. Oh, it may not have been through miraculous clothes or shoes, but in his own wonderful way, he has conventionally supplied our needs and he has helped us. I think that in this busy day and age in which we live, when we're always working so hard to get one step ahead, we'd all do ourselves some good if we'd find a quiet place periodically to go through our journal or our diary or our mental notebook and remember how God has helped us. The best way to get ready to face the unknown future is to reflect upon God's blessing in the past. And what God has done, he will do. The God of the past is the God of the present and of the future. He will never let his people beg bread and we can trust him. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us today. We will catch up with part two of Crossing the Jordan tomorrow. Um, but in between now and then, let me get you into a book that will give you additional information about this very event. This book by Rob Morgan is called The Jordan River Rules. It's a, a beautiful gift book. Um, it's 10 chapters with 10 God-given strategies for moving forward. It's 118 pages in length. And you can read it in a short time 
But you will find in this book some of the greatest truths about living the Christian life uh, that you'll find any place. This book is for you. It's for now. It's for this time. It's to help you really get traction in the new year. Ten God-given strategies for moving forward based on the passages that we're teaching today and tomorrow on Crossing the Jordan. Here's how you get your copy. Send a gift of any size to Turning Point today. And when you do that, simply say, Pastor Jeremiah, here's my gift. Please send me the book for the month of February, The Jordan River Rules. We have plenty of them. We have one waiting for you. All you have to do is ask for it when you send your gift, and it will be on its way to you. I promise you, this will add value to your life. It will encourage you in your walk with the Lord, and it will be a valuable uh, addition to your library. Thanks for giving us the opportunity to make this available. We'll see you tomorrow. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series in Joshua, A Nation in Crisis, visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of Robert J. Morgan's book, The Jordan River Rules, 10 God-Given Strategies for Moving Forward. Learn how God uses crisis to prepare you for stronger days ahead. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get the details when you visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue our series, A Nation in Crisis, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you're ready to move towards the promises God has given you this year, then you'll love The Jordan River Rules, written by Robert Morgan. You'll learn 10 God-given strategies for moving forward, including how to encircle obstacles with biblical faith. This encouraging hardcover is yours with a gift of any amount to Turning Point this month. And when you give $70 or more, you'll also receive The Courage to Conquer set, featuring Dr. Jeremiah's teaching series, companion study guide, and bookmark. Request yours at davidjeremiah.ca. Take the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with Airship Genesis Legendary Bible Adventures from Turning Point. Tune in to our monthly audio adventures and join the Genesis Exploration Squad as they travel back in time to experience the stories of the Bible firsthand and discover life-changing lessons. Also available is the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible packed with the biblical content specifically written for kids from trusted Bible teacher, Dr. David Jeremiah. You can also download our Airship Genesis mobile game on your favorite smart device and play as your favorite characters in this puzzle adventure game as the squad experiences the life of Jesus firsthand. Just go to your app store and type the keywords Airship Genesis. For more details or to order a copy of the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible, visit our website at airshipgenesis.com Bible. That's airshipgenesis.com slash Bible. If a young person has a strained relationship with a parent or other adult, he may commit himself never to become like that person. But that's the quickest way to become the person he doesn't want to be like. We always become like the person we focus on 
especially if our focus is emotional and full of passion. Instead, and this is true for young people and adults alike, we should focus on the person we want to be like instead of the person we don't want to be like. Focusing on Jesus Christ ultimately results in our being conformed to His image. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's way to focus on Jesus on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. That's Route66life.com. Route 66, start your journey home today.